Today's podcast is brought to you by Steakum, the most amazing frozen sliced beef you've never tried. Delicious beef trimmings formed into a large block, frozen, then sliced thin. Mm -mm, Now that's the American dream. The possibilities are endless. Of course you can make a delicious Philly cheesesteak, but you could also make spicy fajitas. Or give that wussy salad you're eating a little hot beef injection. The fun doesn't stop there. Steakums can also be used as a heavy-duty scrubbing sponge, replacement shingles on your roof, a ceiling patch for leaking bicycle tires, or to stop the bleeding from fresh knife or bullet wounds. Steakums thinly sliced mystery meat. The only mystery is finding something you can't use it for. Fear is artificial. Just a thought. Something we discover. Something caught. Hate me if you want. Up to you. Don't care what you think. Just what you do. Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest, he is the former governor of Alabama and the last Democrat to serve as governor in the state of Alabama from 1999 to 2003. He's also written a new book entitled Stealing Our Democracy, How the Political Assassination of a Governor Threatens Our Nation. Governor Don Siegelman, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, you, you also left out that uh, I was sent to prison for five years uh, at the direction of Karl Rove, the former White House advisor for George W. Bush. And one might ask, well, how do you know that? How do you know he was involved? Well, there was sworn testimony given by a Republican political operative, a lawyer, who had been hired to do negative research on me for my opponent, uh, Governor, uh, Congressman Bob Riley at the time. And she went to Washington and gave sworn testimony to the House Judiciary Committee that Karl Rove had hired her to do negative research and that uh, she had had a change of heart and she wanted to tell what she knew to to somebody who would listen. And so she said that... uh, she was on a telephone call with the husband of my prosecutor. Uh, the husband of my prosecutor was a political partner of Carl Rhodes, who they did uh, uh, politics in Alabama and campaigns in Alabama from 1992 to 2000. And she said that uh, Rove had told the Justice Department to pursue me and that uh Carl Rove's partner, Billy Canary, uh, his wife, who had been appointed the U.S. attorney, uh, was going to take care of me. And uh, subsequently, I was indicted a couple of times as I was getting ready to uh, run for re-election, and I was brought to trial one month before my re-election date by the, by the wife of my uh, Republican opponent's campaign manager, who was Carl Rove's partner. <laughs> so um, that, uh, that, in a nutshell, tells part of the story. <laughs> but I wonder, if, uh, if, if people doubt that, that Rove, Carl Rove was involved in my prosecution, or they doubt that the Justice Department can be used as a political weapon uh, let me go just a little bit deeper and and say that the person who started the investigation was Carl Rove's client, political client, 
uh, the state attorney general, Bill Pryor, who now sits on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, Bill Pryor started the investigation. He uh, asked his deputy, uh, who was a guy named Matt Hart, to uh, begin the investigation of me just weeks after I was sworn in as governor. The Department of Justice, years later, admitted admitted in a letter to uh, the House Judiciary Committee that Carl Rove's uh, partner's deputy, Matt Hart, had been in email communication with my Republican opponent's campaign manager um, as far back as 2002, giving him updates on the investigation into Don Sigelman. So we have the uh, Carl Rose partner starting the investigation, I mean, Carl Rose client starting the investigation, the lead prosecutor emailing my Republican opponent's campaign manager. We have Carl Rove's business partner's wife appointed as the U.S. attorney who kicks the federal investigation into high gear. We have her husband working as the campaign manager of my opponent while she investigates me. And then to top all that off, we have Carl Rove's college uh, Republican buddy, Jack Abramoff, Abramoff was sent to prison some years ago for bilking Indians out of millions of dollars uh, for uh, consulting fees. And Jack Abramoff admits in his book, Capital Punishment, and also in the documentary, Atticus versus the Architect, a documentary about my case, he admits that he laundered uh, $20 $20 million of Indian casino money from um, the Choctaw Indians into Alabama to defeat me, saying that, that I was a continuing threat to his client and that I had to be stopped. Um, it's interesting to note that it was during this time that uh, a business journal, the Kiplinger letter, was uh, touting me as a candidate, dark horse candidate, to run against George W. Bush in 2004. So all that being said, that's how I became a political prisoner. Uh, that's not my term. That was a term ascribed to me by the American Trial Lawyer magazine in 2008. Well, well Governor Siegel, let me just say, no matter how hard I could possibly try, you gave a hell of a lot better intro than I would have ever done right there. Uh, to <laughs> to your background and your story because it it is it is an incredible like everything you just described is 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 uh I think for the layman maybe a little bit like holy shit this seems extremely uh, corrupt and kind of dealings happening behind the scenes and all this stuff to to attack somebody like yourself um, who you know let's face it you were an extremely popular political figure in Alabama and you were a Democrat. Is that, you know, on your book, on the cover of your book, you, I think it says that you were the number one political prisoner. And that's why Carl Rove, who, if, by the way, if folks don't know who Carl Rove is, just Google douchebag and I think his face will come up. But like, or, or you could, you could Google, uh, <laughs> you could Google what George W. Bush called him, turd, turd blossom. <laughs> and uh, if you, 
And George W. Bush, George, he was George W. Bush's, they called him Bush's brain, or the architect of the Bush uh, uh, ascendancy into the governorship of Texas and then president. Uh, and then Bush calls him Turd Blossom. But anyway... Um, <laughs> what, what do you call him? Uh, was, what, what do you call him when you're... <laughs> like, well, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I have to tell you this story. It's covered in my, my book, Stealing Our Democracy. Uh, it's on Amazon. You can go to stealingourdemocracy.com or you can go to Amazon and, and find it. Um, but I tell the story in my book. After... Let me, let me back up just a little, give your listeners a little more information. Uh, so I was running for re-election in 2002, and then I was going to jump into the South Carolina primary, Democratic primaries, uh, primary, and for president. And the night, of, the night of the election in 2002, I was declared the winner by CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, the, uh, Associated Press. So everybody goes to bed, and then um, we're, we we wake up the next morning, and six six thousand of my votes had simply disappeared uh, from the total of a South Alabama Republican-controlled county, Baldwin County, down around where you're broadcasting from. Um, so. I called the probate judge and said, "Hey, look, I want to I want to recount because this is going to throw the election to my opponent. I want to know what happened to those six thousand votes." And he said, "Well, I was expecting your call. Why don't you come on down and we'll count the votes and we'll have a place for the media to sit and we'll get it done right." So, on my way down to Baldwin County, I'm called and told by my staff that. The attorney general, Carl Rose client, had had seized seized the ballots and all the camp, the the cassettes and uh, the anything that related to the certification of the of the election, and had taken everything to Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, it was then that we learned that there had been a, a what can't call it anything other than an illegal certification because the Alabama law says you can't certify a vote until after 12 noon on Friday following the election. And this was on Wednesday morning. So Carl Rose client is the one who steps in and stops the hand recount in, in 2002. So, so hold, um, hold on one second. He, he literally, the attorney general of Alabama literally stole the election. He literally stole votes. Is that right? He, he 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 seized all of the all of the evidence of what had happened. Today's podcast is brought to you by Steakum Frozen Beef Slices. We put the um in amazing. Don't take it from us. Listen to what actual satisfied customers have said. Our first review is from Deidre, who says Absolutely horrible. Actually can't believe people consume this. It tastes like meat mixed with cardboard. No, thank you, Deidre. And here's one from Amanda. This stuff is greasy, crumbly, and I really can't describe the smell and flavor other than terrible and overpowering. I made these a week ago and find myself cringing every time I think about them. 
So true, girlfriend. So true. And finally, if you're not already convinced, listen to Stiz2003, who writes, This is worse than the McDonald's pink slime. It's basically the garbage from butchering beef. The horrid taste of it talked to me all night. Well, who doesn't love to be talked to all night? If you ask us, that's a product that cares. Steakum, filling your heart with love and heavily processed animal fat, but mostly love. Who will you become from who you've been? Are you waking up or turning in? Will you be a shadow or be a spark? No such thing as light without the dark. Now, let me, let me back up. So I'm declared the winner uh, about 11 o'clock on Tuesday night in 2002. Um, the polls are closed. The courthouse is closed. The media leaves. The, the uh, poll watchers leave. The representatives from the Republican and Democratic Party leave. All the candidates leave the courthouse within only four minutes, one, two, three, four, they, 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 they have a recount and certify a different total within four minutes after the first recount, which declared me the winner, they subtract 6,000 votes and post a new total. And they, all right, now get this. All right. So I'm at the top of the top of the ballot. Um, Running for governor, there's a lieutenant governor, the treasurer, the state auditor, the, the U.S. congressman race, the uh, Senate race. Not a single down-ballot race was impacted by their subtracting 6,000 of my votes. It's a physical impossibility. You can't take 6,000 votes from the top of the ticket and it not impact the races below that. But anyway, yes, so it was Carl Rose Platt, State Attorney General, who sees the ballots, goes to Montgomery, certifies my Republican opponent as a winner uh, based off these false totals, totals that no one had ever seen, votes that no one had ever counted. And um, so uh, we're then put in a catch-22. I can't, I can't challenge the election because don't have we don't have the ballots we don't have the evidence the attorney general won't give us the evidence and without the evidence i can't get a recount so it was then that i announced okay guys you think you're so clever you're going to steal this election but i'm going to run again in 2006 i'll see you then so the, the political surveys showed that i would i would win re-election in 2006 well, it was, it was then that, this is beginning in 2003, uh, the, the Republican who was certified as the winner, Bob Riley, was so unpopular in 2003 that, again, I was, I was being shown to win a re-election battle in 2006. So the Republican Party chairman went to Washington and talked to Jeff Sessions and says, you know, you're the only person who can beat Sigelman in 2006. We want you to be the Republican Party nominee for governor in 2006 to run against Don Sigelman. Well, now, 
how did I end up as a political prisoner? So it was not the FBI that investigated me. It was retired FBI agents who had worked for Jeff Sessions when he was the U.S. attorney from Mobile. So Jeff, Jeff Sessions in, in 1994 left the, uh, left, left the U.S. attorney's office and became attorney general of Alabama. His retired agents went to work for the state attorney general's office. And it was those retired retired FBI agents, FBI agents who built the the bogus the bogus uh, criminal case against me. The first one in two thousand and four, and the second one in two thousand and six. So there's there's you know you've got a writer from over in, in in Mississippi, John Grisham, who my story sounds a lot. It has as many twists and turns as a John Grisham thriller. But <laughs> the, difference, the, the difference is, mine is nonfiction, and I've got uh, about 160 pages, I mean 160 legal notes to back up everything I'm saying to you and in my book, Stealing Our Democracy. But I want to say something, because I, I don't want people to think that, hey, you wrote a book about what happened to you. Yes, I wrote a book about what happened to me, but not. But it is, it is about our democracy. It, this is not about doing anything that to help Don Sigelman. You know, I've already I've already served five years in prison. I lost my career. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But no, this is about preserving and protecting our democracy from it happening to you. You know, Justin, to you or your family, or to your listeners or their families, if they can, if they can pursue a sitting governor with the resources that I had, I, I was a trial lawyer, so I had saved some money, and I spent it all on lawyers. But that—that's. But what I'm saying is, I had the resources to defend myself. But what about the unemployed? The steel worker, the housewife, or the hairdresser, the mechanic down the street. The government, the government gets ninety nine percent of all indictments that they see. Ninety nine percent. That's a pretty good average. If you were going into a casino in Mississippi and your your uh, your rate of winning was ninety nine percent, they'd probably bar you at the door. They wouldn't let you in. Right. Right. But how does the government get 99% of the indictments they seek? I talk about this in my book, Stealing Our Democracy. They get 99% of the indictments because there is no one present in the grand jury other than the, the jurors and the prosecution. There is no lawyer. There is no judge. There, there's no one to object to false evidence or false testimony. And under the Federal Tort Claims Act, a federal law, prosecutors have civil immunity, immunity from from civil lawsuits, and can literally, willingly and knowingly present false evidence or withhold exculpatory evidence, evidence which would tend to exonerate or free a target. There was a, uh, 
the chief judge, the chief judge of the Ninth Judicial Circuit in California, a place where you're you're familiar with. You yeah. were you were there for a while. Absolutely. Um, judge Krasinski, Alex Krasinski, said that prosecutors withholding exculpatory evidence is epidemic in America. That's a quote from the chief judge of the Ninth Circuit. That prosecutors can do and and uh, withhold exculpatory evidence. That, so we have a situation where prosecutors can can present false evidence or withhold exculpatory evidence in a grand jury. And that's exactly what happened to me. I think what you've described in, in great detail here is a situation where you were the most powerful person, presumably, in, in the state of Alabama, and yet you seem very powerless to to the forces within that system. Um, and you mentioned how that relates to the housekeeper or you know the you know minorities, right, who f- have faced you know, things like this, situations like this, uh, certainly throughout the, the history of, of Alabama. Um, my question to and you... Mississippi. And Mississippi. absolutely, everywhere, but, but certainly in the South. Um, did, you, did you ever feel powerless yourself? Because it's, it, it's hard for me to grasp. I mean, it, there are times when I feel fairly powerless, yet I'm, you know... 34-year-old white male, right? Like, I know that there are certain things that I'm, I'm afforded just because of, of my race. and, and uh, But did you ever feel powerless? Yeah, you, uh, yes, and I, 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 can, I can tell you that, you know, sitting, sitting in court and listening to the prosecution present lies to the, to the jury... Um, and not being able to present evidence of the fact that my case was, uh, it emanated from, uh, politics. The judge, um, refused to allow us to present any of the evidence that I mentioned to you. Uh, we could not present evidence that the prosecutor's husband was my opponent's campaign manager. Uh, you know, we couldn't present evidence that the attorney general that uh, started the investigation was Carl Rove's client. We, we couldn't present other evidence that the case, uh, that the lead prosecutor was, was emailing uh, my Republican opponent's campaign manager uh, telling and giving him updates on the investigation. If we had been allowed to present evidence that could have shown the jury that this that my prosecution uh, was politically motivated, then I don't think the outcome would have been the same. But yes, I felt I felt helpless, but and powerless. But you know, I I always thought, well, you know, the jury will get this right. But we we had we had. Uh, well, there were some complications there that uh, the, the jurors were. One of them in particular was uh, was sending notes through the U.S. Marshal to the prosecution during the course of the trial, asking whether or not one of their agents 
was married. So we have a juror actively communicating with the prosecution during the course of the trial, and she had, had a Morris interest in one of the members of the prosecution's team. Um, the judge, at the end of the case, after two hung juries, after the death of the after the after the jury returned twice saying they could not reach a verdict, he he said this was the Friday before the Fourth of July. They had been in, they had been sequestered for six weeks, and the judge told the jury, "I can keep you here until next July if I want to. Bring me a verdict or a partial verdict." And within about an hour and a half, they brought a partial verdict that sent me to prison for five years.